This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound. And you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Welcome to this special pre-Christmas episode of Total Saints Podcast, underpinned by our fabulous Global TSP patrons. Whether you're a long-time listener or a brand new one, thank you for giving up some time to tune in. Now, as every Saints fan will know, our number seven shirt is full of history and legend. Over the years, Mick Shannon, Bobby Stokes, Terry Payne, Alan Ball, Kevin Keegan and Matthew Letizier have all represented the club while wearing it. It's been responsible for some of the most glorious moments Saints have ever had. A more recent incumbent of that shirt is a man who, in over 230 games for us, scored 117 goals. Despite Wikipedia telling me he's six foot two, we all know that he actually stood just over six foot three. Indeed, took us to the Premier League and was, of course, Southampton's goal machine. It's a modern-day footballing god, Ricky Lambert. Ricky, thank you so much for joining Total Saints podcast. It's a massive honour to have you on. How are you keeping? I'm okay. I'm okay. It's a pleasure to be on, Ben. Thank you for inviting me. Brilliant. I've. Uh, Done around 140 of these uh, podcasts to date, Ricky. I don't think I've ever been as nervous and excited as I am for this one, talking to a, a true footballing hero of mine. Um, but before we get on to football, 2020 has obviously been a, a tough year for everyone. How have you found it being at home more than you might have expected with your uh, young family, etc.? Fun, tiring, all of the above? Um, at first, it was actually uh, nice to uh, the first lockdown, uh, spending more time with the family. But uh, I've got to be honest, the second lockdown, even though it was only four weeks, was hard. Yeah. Everyone who I know anyway felt kind of the same. I think they're just sick and tired of this virus and they just want it gone. And the quicker life gets back to normal, mate, I think it'll be it'll be much needed. But yeah, it's been tough. 2020 has not been one of the best <laughs> years, let's, let's all be honest. Nah. Um, so hopefully in the new year, we can start to see a little bit of normality. Mm. Um, obviously, 
with school, the kids have been interrupted with school and the work and stuff like that, which which is is, is not nice, mate. As it so, no, it hasn't been the best of years, but uh, we're still looking forward to Christmas and, like I said, uh, in the new year, hopefully see a little bit of normality coming back. Yeah, you just mentioned Christmas there. I mean, obviously it is just around the corner now. Um, I was thinking about this when I was doing my notes. As someone that obviously gave what, 20-plus years to a profession that doesn't really allow for Christmas. Has that been the sort of one positive of retirement, being able to kind of enjoy this time of year a lot more? To be honest, that was one of the things I was looking forward to the most, being a footballer, especially my wife. My wife is the biggest Christmas nut that you will ever come across. She she would have the decorations up in September <laughs> if she could. Um, she, she loves it. So, obviously... Being a footballer, you're lucky if you're spending the morning there with the kids. Mm. And even if you are, you're probably leaving about one, two o'clock in the day. So it is a sacrifice, and, and that is a sacrifice that you're aware of throughout your career. So when it does come to the end, one of the things that you do look forward to most is definitely spending time with your family and not looking at your watch thinking, I need to leave now. Yeah. So, yes, it was brilliant. It was brilliant. And I'm looking forward to it again, probably a little bit more than usual, especially with the year we've had. Yeah, agreed. We're going to spend the next while talking about your journey with Saints, one that was almost the, the true life remake of Roy of the Rovers comic, really. Um, given how much happened during that five years, we could probably be here for days. So I'm going to do my best to try and draw out some of the key moments from your time with us, Ricky. Um, let's start by going back to Monday, the 10th of August, 2009, the day you signed for Saints. Um, what do you remember of that sort of week or so leading up to the move once you were aware that we were keen on signing you? Yes, yeah, so... Um... It went all summer and I hadn't had any interest. Uh, I knew uh, Pardew was interested with me when he was at Charlton the year before or a few months, uh, about six months before. But all through that summer, I heard nothing for no. And I was I was expecting and hoping the championship club to come in for me, to be honest, because I knew I was the best player in League One. just scored 29 goals. No, no one came in, so... It was the beginning of the season. We played one game, or our first game was happening mm. on the Saturday, and I think I heard on the Thursday or Friday that Southampton are interested in me, and the, the, it, it's looking likely that I will be a Southampton player maybe next week. And it was just the debating whether I should play in that game. I ended up playing mm. for Bristol Rovers, and then after that, it was kind of... More me, obviously, pushing it through. Yeah, It was taking a while. It took about a week for the negotiations to go through because, as you know, Nicola was a uh, tough negotiator. And <laughs> <laughs> um, obviously, it took a while for all parties to agree. Uh, so I did panic a little bit because I knew they were desperate for a striker. And if Bristol Rovers dug the heels in enough, then Southampton, being the size and what, the, what was coming he probably would have moved on to the next striker mm. um, so I was I was desperate to go for I love Bristol Rovers love my time there but when this came in especially speaking to Pardew listening to what Nicola had planned it was just amazing it sounded absolutely amazing Yeah. Uh, so I was desperate for it to go through and then when it did it was a bit of a relief but when I when I first walked in I knew everything what I'd been hoping for everything that I'd been waiting for it was 
everything that I wanted at that moment. Yeah. And so part of my research for this, I heard you recently talking to some Bristol Ravers fans where you made a point of saying, as you mentioned just there, Ricky, that after scoring 29 goals in uh, 48 games during that 2008-09 season, you were, I think the word you used was fuming that no championship club had come in for you during that summer. So I don't think, you know, with all due respect to Bristol Ravers, we would necessarily say Saints was a, a sideways step. But do you feel like moving within League One was a bit of a, a sideways step that you kind of had to weigh up based on your desire to play at a high level? Yes, uh, it was Huddersfield who was interested in me, but again, I, I didn't really want to go to them because they were another League One club, mm. um, and I was I was huffing and puffing, and I was like, no, I'd probably rather stay at uh, Bristol Rovers. When Southampton came in, and I spoke to them, um, obviously I knew the history of Southampton in the Premier League and the the fall that they'd had, but speaking to Pardew, Nicola, uh, seeing the players that were there, them telling me who they're going to bring in, mm. the ambition. I could just see it in, in their eyes that it was something special happening. I, I was desperate to be a part of it. Obviously, I didn't envisage what was coming, but even that first meeting, you believed everything, what was getting said. Mm. You believed in Nicola, you believed in Pardew. Um, and I, yeah, like I said, it went through. And then within a month, we had a core of players who were either there or he, he brought in pretty quickly, Dan Harden, Jose Fonte. Uh, we had Morgan Snyder, Adam Alana still there. Yep. So straight away, I, I was like blown away with the quality and training. Do you know what I mean? There was still a few lads whose confidence was probably not the highest, especially maybe getting relegated yep. uh, a couple of times and, and you could see that a little bit, but it was it was brilliant just to be a part of, and mm. the quality, like you said, from the the individuals was was incredible. So yeah, no, it was it was disappointing that no one came in, uh, but even though I knew it was a sideways move, I kind of knew promotion was very likely that year, if not the following year, and then the ambition that he was portraying that he wanted the Premier League, and that was so um, enticing to be a part of because mm. like I said you, you, you believed it as well Yeah, and as I pointed out at the start Ricky you obviously took on the, the number 7 shirt um, Saints aren't the most fashionable club in the world but I think that number 7 shirt means as much to us as probably the Newcastle number 9 or the Barcelona number 10 so did you get a, um, a sense sort of straight away of what? <laughs> <laughs> obviously you're our Lionel Messi uh, Ricky but did you get a sense straight away of what playing in that shirt number would mean? I, yeah, I remember obviously signing and um, the numbers coming through, what was available. Yeah. And I think seven was the only number available in one to 11. And I was like, are you sure these know the numbers? Because <laughs> obviously I knew what the what the number represented and who wore it. It did feel heavy Yeah. Um, because obviously Matt Letizia wore it and it was like, oh my word. And I, I knew how much he was loved and just having that number it was i was made up to have it but it <laughs> i did feel a little bit of worry thinking oh wow okay because uh, straight away they were resembling not obviously resembling me to matt Letizia, but obviously putting the hopes on me wearing the number seven but i was in a good place to be honest and i knew i was probably the best player in league one yeah um so i, I knew i was going to hit the ground running i was in uh, a good place at the time and 
it was just yeah, it was just it was brilliant. I, I loved I loved that I was I had the opportunity to take the number seven, but it it, it did feel a little bit heavy to to begin with. Yeah. And just on Alan then, and you, you um, obviously mentioned him earlier. I mean, I, I was reading some recent comments. I think he did an interview with Papa John's in terms of the Johnson Paint Trophy and things like that. And he obviously mentioned that he'd always uh, liked you as a player. And you mentioned there, you know, when he was at Charlton and things like that. But he, he kind of made the point that he really had to push Nicola and Saints. And uh, as you said earlier, Ricky, around chief negotiator. And I think, you know, thankfully for all of our sakes, um, Alan Pardew did that pushing because obviously it was a, a wonderful signing. But I, I suppose focusing on on him, you know, he obviously had confidence in your abilities, not only at that level, but the the ability for you to sort of push on and develop yourself as well. So that must have meant a lot in terms of securing the move as well, not just moving to Saints, but him as a manager. Yes, and I've got to say, I think about Southampton was top drop, like Premier League standard. Mm. Um, the coaches, the physios, and I'd, I'd I'd never seen that level throughout the club, not just alone a manager. Straight away walking in, it was it was incredible. But yeah, Alan Pardew coming in for you, it was was a massive factor in me joining the Saints. But just straight away, first few weeks having Dean Wilkins, yeah, um, like I said, having the physio coaches, it was unbelievable. It was um, I couldn't, I can't begin to explain how much it benefited me having so much attention on me personally by n- numerous coaches yeah. I just thrived in it I was at the right age and mentality to accept everything what was getting said and I was able to understand it and it was just a brilliant time mm. I, I just remember going into training and knowing each day I was coming home I was a little bit better than the day before it was it was brilliant so you sign on the 10th of August. You then obviously make your debut just a day later against Northampton Town in the first round of the League Cup. I certainly remember being at a game. I think it was a, a pretty much a half full St Mary's. We obviously won 2-0. But you took just 29 minutes to register your first goal of uh, Saints' career. I imagine you'd obviously had hardly any time to really get to know the squad and train with them and things like that. So it must have been a bit of a whirlwind. But I know you mentioned previously it obviously taken a little while to get your first goal for Rovers when you joined them. So it must have been nice to get off the mark straight away with Saints. Yes, yes, it was brilliant. I scored the first game for Rovers, so I was already off the mark. Yeah, but I was desperate to get off the mark quickly for Saints. Um, and even though it was one of the probably the scruffiest goals I've scored, I think it came <laughs> off my back. I think it did. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think it bounced, and I've gone for a diving header for some reason instead of just tapping it in, and it hit me back and got in. It was massive relief. I was confident. I wasn't I wasn't the fittest at this time. I wasn't mm. the most professional, but I knew I could score at that level. So to get off the mark for the Saints, that was a massive bonus. Yeah, and you mentioned I think uh, some of the Bristol Ravers lads have given you a bit of I think you called it sort of friendly stick when you joined them around the amount of money the club had spent on you and things like that. So a million pound for Saints, even in League One, it probably could have been more uh, if Mr. Cortese wasn't the negotiator. But it was still a, a significant amount for a League One team to pay on you. So did you get any friendly stick when you joined Saints, or was it a slightly different environment? Yeah, it was, it was slightly different. Um, at Rovers, I came there. In terrible condition, I, I got injured for Rochdale in pre-season, mm. and I basically joined Rovers unfit. Um, so <laughs> I could see on the faces who on earth we signed here. <laughs> it took me took me months to get my fitness up, and they wasn't shy holding back, saying, "Oh my word, who we signed here? How much are you on and stuff like that?" <laughs> um, but what I think uh, it was more professional. 
I think they was expecting a lot from me. Mm. I think they were pretty happy with what they were seeing and saying because I didn't get much stick from them. Mm. No, thankfully. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And you followed up the goal against Northampton by scoring on your League One debut for us the following weekend at Huddersfield, albeit we uh, unfortunately lost 3-1. They were a bit of a nemesis side for us that season. Um, It took us until nearly a a month later to register our first win in the league, a 2-0 home victory against Yeovil Town, thanks to two penalties from yourself um of course we started that 2009-10 season on minus 10 having fallen into administration the season before but we still finished seventh i think we were about seven points behind huddersfield in the end uh, winning 23 of our 46 games losing only nine given the points deduction ricky did it feel like that first season was kind of everyone just trying to sort of gel together as you said there was quite a few new signings or, or was it a case of still trying to get promoted if we could bearing in mind uh, you know mr cortese and the sort of expectations there were at the club no, it was, to be honest, I did feel pressure. I think Nicola expected to be promoted, and I think Pardew expected to be promoted. Yeah. And if it wasn't for the the start we had, we would have. Um, obviously, the team had been relegated. They brought in quite a lot of new players. We didn't hit the ground run to, to begin with, like you, like you just mentioned. We we lost a few many games. Yeah. We we caught all that up at the, the middle to, to end and every time we would win Huddersfield would win mm. and it just went like that for the last 10 games and we ended up missing out it was frustrating but I would say the Johnson paint that kind of made the season acceptable if that made sense yeah. um, and it was instead of going to a disappointment year that we didn't get promoted it went to a quite good from morale confidence we were we were very close to the playoffs, mm. even though we were disappointed not to get in. But we we won the JPT, which was absolutely brilliant. One of the yeah. best games I've, I've been a part of. I absolutely loved it, and the yeah. fans loved it. So I think the the mood in the club was brilliant at this time. Even though amongst ourselves we were disappointed, we couldn't quite make the playoffs because we knew we made the playoffs, we would have got promoted, and it would have been brilliant. But what probably happened? in our favour is that we didn't get promoted and I'll probably go on to to explain it a little bit more when we get on on to Watkins but it probably gave us another year Mm. players like Lallana, Morgan, Snyderlin Jose Fonte the core of that team probably to gel a little bit more Mm. in League One and then obviously when we eventually did get promoted it was a completely different machine yeah, and just to, I mean, you touched on it there. The the highlight I think for many of us that season was uh, obviously winning the Johnson's Paint Trophy at Wembley, beating Carlisle four uh, one. As you mentioned, you opened the scoring that day with a, another penalty in front of a. I think uh, depending which reports you read, there's about forty five thousand of us there. I think something like that. But uh, it was certainly experience. I think like many fans who attended, I'll never forget. I'm sure many Saints fans won't. But your overall sort of memories of that day, and and obviously you scored and the atmosphere, and then eventually lifting the trophy. It was the highlight of the season, Ricky. But as we'll get onto later, you've had a few memorable days at Wembley but uh, that one uh, at that sort of time in your career um, was uh, one to remember yeah it was the best it was the best day of my career at that time without a doubt um, the build up to it the actual game the, the way we all played we all played brilliant and then lifting the trophy and I can remember one moment sticks out and uh, it was my turn to lift the trophy um, right up in the clouds and I can remember turning and all my family and friends were there. Yeah. They were right next to me and it was brilliant. 
Ach and just remember thinking this is unbelievable. Mm. And it was, it was just a brilliant day. Everything about it was brilliant. And then and then we went back and had a party and I can't remember too much of a party, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> but thankfully I can remember the game and, and it was just it was just a perfect day. Yeah. And it was it was the highlight of my career at that point by by some distance. I mean, you eventually ended the season with 36 goals in all competitions and uh, the Golden Boot for League One with 30, a record that would obviously get you into the PFA Team of the Year alongside Calvin and Jason Punchin. You'd also win the Fans Player of the Year award. Um, maybe more impressively, Ricky, when I was looking into this, I didn't realise, but you played 58 times that season, which is a lot of games, the most in any season of your career. One of the key things I know Pardew had spoken to you about and you mentioned it earlier on was that sort of fitness and nutrition. And I, I was again, I was listening to the Bristol pod and um, obviously you mentioned that I think he had you in his office one day and was getting you to sort of show him your stomach and obviously really getting you to sort of build and yeah. um, build up your psychological sort of um, barriers around <laughs> looking at the fitness and all that sort of thing as well right yes and this is again this is one of the most important moments of my career if not the most important moments in my career this is probably the moment i went from a a very good league one player with potential to in my eyes, I turned me into a Premier League player. Mm. Um, it was because the, the only thing that was lacking with me was my professionalism. And even though it was a lot better at Bristol Rovers than it had been in my previous clubs, it still wasn't nowhere near good enough. And I thought I could get away with it at Southampton because mm. I thought I was scoring. I'm scoring. Everyone's happy with me. But being the man Pardew was, he, it wasn't good enough for him. And about a month in, a month and a half, I was top scorer in the league. Pulled me in, like he said, that's to see me belly. He said he's been watching me around the place, how much I eat, um, my diet. Um, it probably is. I like to drink as well. Um, or I, I like to have a few drinks. And he basically said that is that is unacceptable at, at this club. It might have been acceptable in the clubs that you've been at, but I'm not having that under under me at mm. this club because you're re- representing me. Mm. You're my marquee sign, and, and I don't want that. And it took me back. I wasn't expecting it. Um, didn't take me long to realise he was he was right, and I felt embarrassed. Mm. Um, it wasn't a nice moment, I'll be honest. It was it was one of the most embarrassing moments of me, me career. Um, but I took it on board. Next day, Nick Harvey had me... In the, in the gym, and from that moment on, it took it took about four weeks, and I was I felt knackered in training because I was doing an hour, an hour and a half before training, so I was getting in half eight, eight o'clock, doing an hour, an hour and a half, and then the lads would come in have breakfast. I would have breakfast with them, and then I would train with them. And for the first three to four weeks of doing that, I felt knackered in games. It didn't really feel good. Um, and then after four weeks, five weeks, it just it was it became like a a, a drug. Mm. Um, I I became addicted to it because I could feel I had a, a, a an extra yard of pace mm. in training in the games. Um, my mind was a little bit faster. Everything just became a little bit more easier, and I, I was already probably a step ahead of most defenders in that league. Yeah. When I started to feel the benefits of the fitness and the the new regime, um, it just like I said, it became a drug, and I I wanted it more and more and more, and I I became an absolute machine. And I remember one, I think it was um, 
I think it was round about the JPT mm-hmm. final, and he put a picture of me up um, when I joined, and then a picture of me then, and it was like two different people. <laughs> it was it yeah. was incredible to be fair. And he said he made an example of me in front of the group, saying, "This is your uh, striker. This is what he's done for you." Um, he was a disgrace, and but look at him now. You can, you, you should have confidence in him that he's going to get you promoted. And him highlighting me in front of the lads like that was I can't even begin to say how much confidence that like put in in me. Um, and like I said, that was probably one of the most defining moments in my career, and that's why I say, even though I've I've had better managers, he's up there with one of the best managers, but for a manager to make the most difference in, in a career. That's why I to say Pardew is that manager. He had the biggest impact on me. Yeah. I, I suppose I was going to ask, and it's you know, maybe just a brief answer, it depends, but you were obviously 27 when he had that conversation with you. Do you think if you'd been maybe 17, 10 years earlier, Ricky, you might not have taken that advice in the same way that... Do, do you think your maturity and experience that you'd gone through made you realise that that was the time that you needed to change? Yes. Yes. I mean... I obviously did get told um, and, and was getting told what I needed. And uh, it was just, I don't know. I was kidding myself. And I've said that before. I think I was kidding myself. I was kidding myself. I am doing enough and I'm doing all right. I'm, I'm scoring. I'm, I'm playing well. I was kidding myself. And it is my biggest regret in my career, even though I, I do feel so lucky mm. with the career I, I had. It was, it was an amazing career. Yeah. But I do look look back, and but it was, it was it was my personality. It was the experiences I had. That that was the person I was. I I was probably more suited to the seventies, eighties, <laughs> the way people would normally like go for it after the game and stuff like that. I did I did enjoy that, and I probably done it way too much. Mm. And that's probably why I why I was in League Two, League One for so long. And to be honest, would I have had the impact if I did listen at 19, 18, because then I wouldn't have had the hunger and desire by the age I was 27 yeah. to go on and do what what I did. I, so it's it's two ways of looking at it. Yeah, 100%. I might have got to the Premier League a lot quicker, but I might not have had the impact or might not have had the experiences as I did if I didn't. So yeah. I'm just made up i i managed to get to a club like southampton get to a manager like alan pardew and have their moments i feel very blessed that their moments happened to me So we move forward to 2010-11, another season in League One, Ricky, but starting on zero points, so a level playing field. Um, however, again, we only won one of our first seven games. Ironically, it was against your old club, Bristol Rovers, down at their place 4-0, a game you also scored in. Even more ironically, it was obviously Allen's last game in charge as he was sacked a couple of days later. It took a couple of weeks before Nigel was installed as the new manager. I, I certainly remember myself thinking, you know, not heard much about this bloke, but as we know, obviously he went on to do a, a wonderful job over the next couple of years. Whilst I'm sure it would have been disappointing for you to lose Alan, how did um, Nigel compare in those early stages? Because obviously he's renowned and, uh, you know, clearly a very positive and engaging individual. Yeah, no, I liked, I liked Nigel from the, the get-go. He was very upbeat. 
he was very football orientated the way he wanted to play football it was a little bit different to Pardew even though Pardew I kind of like Pardew made me the main man and we would go long to me and I would get more of the ball probably would get more chances under Nigel it was more uh, team based mm-hmm. playing out from the back formations a uh, philosophy of how we're going forward win lose or draw I think Nigel brought that into us where Pardew was more we're going to win and we're going to win we'll do whatever to win mm. where Nigel was like no we're going to put a philosophy and I think that was maybe Nicola making sure this is the way we want you to play and so I think Nigel agreeing to that coming in he was going to have to do that mm. um, but it was brilliant it was brilliant um, you could see pretty early on the benefits of doing what he wanted us to do and playing out because sometimes we would disagree with him. These moments I've said in other podcasts, I think, and uh, I, I could never say it at the time because it, it's really bad. But these times when we're playing a team and we know what they're going to press high, and he, he, he still wants us to play out the back, and we would say in in the huddle before the game, take no notice of what he said. We're going long, phase fifteen. And it's like the players just took that in, into their own, um, which is bad. But mm. like I said, it took a while to have the confidence in what he was trying to put onto, onto us. We were still more probably focused on trying to get the win, where he was like, if you listen to me in the long run, you will win. Mm. Um, and it was brilliant. The, the transition and the way we played, like I said, instead of most of it going through me, it was com- it was you would be confident and understand your role within the team. Mm. Uh, and I, I seen a lot less of the ball, but I was in better positions to do more damage when I did actually get the ball. And yeah, he got the best out of that team, mm. uh, Nigel. He got the best out of the squad, the plays that we had. It was it was a pleasure, and especially the championship, the, the some of the football we played. Mm was absolutely brilliant. Some of the best games I've, I've been a part of. Um, and that was all through in them early days of getting this philosophy into us. Yeah. Well, no League One team would win more games than Saints in 2010-11. 28 of the 46 we played. We'd win 13 of our last 15 to secure second place and achieve promotion to the Championship. Um, I always seem to think of that MK Don's home match, Ricky, as the moment when I thought we'd go on to win uh, promotion. Of course, Jono coming on and scoring those two goals in a minute as we uh, fought back from 2-0 down to win 3-2 in the end. And uh, after everything that had happened between the two sides, of course... Winning down at Brighton 2-1 was also a sweet moment with uh, Jose's late header. As I say, we're not going to spend the podcast going through every single game, uh, Ricky, but are there any moments from your memory that stick with you from that particular season? Because the other one I was thinking of, speaking of MK Dons, was, of course, that wonderful hat-trick you scored up there when you... uh, The hat-trick goal was pretty much from the centre circle, wasn't it? (laughs) Yeah, no, that goal, probably the best one I've scored for Saints. Yeah. But moment-wise, I would have to say... Yeah, Huddersfield was chasing. It's so ironic because the year before we were chasing Huddersfield, this this year they were chasing us and every time we would win, they would win. Mm. So, like you said, if we would have lost that or lost points, then they would have overtook us and then we probably wouldn't have caught them. Um, but the game what sticks out the most is definitely the Plymouth away. Yeah, yeah, that was a good um, game. That was, it was brilliant because then you kind of knew, you. well, we, we knew we were promoted and and that was a, a big relief, a massive mm. relief, um, because 
like I said, we was disappointed not to to get promoted the first year, but if we wouldn't have got promoted the second year, yeah. I don't know what that would have done. I I, I don't know. I uh, think Nicola you know, would have been happy. <laughs> no, exactly. And, and the person he was, he might have got rid of Nigel, and then yeah. we might have gone backwards. Who knows? Yeah. No one knows. But we managed to sneak into that second spot. We wanted first. But Brighton, fair play, they were brilliant that season, yeah. and they uh, they definitely deserved it. Um, but it was so important for the club to get that second spot. Yeah, and I have to say, as part of my uh, further research for this uh, chat, Ricky, I, I twice sat through 15-minute YouTube videos of every single goal you'd uh, ever score for Saints. You forget just how many belters there were in there, and of course, yeah, the header in the first half at Plymouth and that penalty down our end in the second half. But, uh, of course, the last game of the season, we'd uh, beat Walsall 3-1 uh, to secure promotion. A day, obviously, for the city to celebrate and the club as well. But for you personally, Ricky, after everything you've gone through and the realisation that you were finally going to get a chance to compete in the Championship, Yes, so obviously it was my um, time to prove a lot of people wrong. Um, that, that was the way I looked at it personally. Um, I couldn't be, I, I knew I couldn't be in a better position with Saints at this time going into the pre season. That pre season, we had, I've got to say, with Nigel Atkins, that year leading into the championship is one of, if, if not the best pre season I've ever had. Right. It was brilliant. It was football-based. Uh, the running was a lot different to, to everything I was used to. It was more associated with the running that you would do on a football pitch. It was absolutely brilliant. Mm. And I hate pre-seasons. <laughs> always have. hate them. I don't... Well, there's a few players who... Um, who do like them, but not many. But that, that pre-season, it was, it was brilliant. The, the team bonding... Um, like I said, just the training, it was it was brilliant. I have never felt so good. Uh, I don't think I could get any more fitter than that. It was like I, I took on yoga right. and yoga just because I I've always struggled with my back and and um, like Nick Harvey and uh, Matt and Mo the physios yeah. they were putting me in an unbelievable position. I took on yoga for advice and that's done wonders absolutely wonders for me back so going into that season I felt so good and the fire in my belly to to prove a lot of other managers that I was good enough was was so strong and it took a, it took a few games to, to score but I finally scored against Ipswich you did. and yeah. the emotions it was yeah the emotions was oh god it was yeah I was just so so made up to get off the mark, and like I said, some of the play from the get go, I think it only took us about five games. Because what's so funny about that league uh, that season is the bonus, the bonuses that you get. You've got to negotiate the bonuses before each season, and obviously, again, Nicholas very hard to be negotiating, and he wouldn't give us any bonuses out of the top six. Right. He expects us to be in the top six, and where because where we were all basically saying we're we've, we're a newly promoted team, and you expect us to be in the top six. Now we end up he ends up negotiating a little bit, but ends up being very good the bonuses because we we were in the top two all the time. And again, it's listen, I, I can say a, a few things about Nicolab that I don't like, but what I did like is that he did 
just your mentality all the time. Mm. He did. Like, if you would question it, say, no, we're, we're newly promoted. And he would say, well, why not? Why not? You, I think you're good enough. Mm. If you think you're good enough, then you will be in the top six. He, he was very good at that. He was, he was very different to anyone I've ever met. And um, he did make you think differently. Yeah. And maybe push yourself a little bit more. And like I said, we all started looking at each other and thought we can go again here. Yeah. Every team we played, we just blitzed them. We absolutely passed them off the park and they got nowhere near us. It was it was brilliant. Yeah. And you, you made a point of saying that as I said I know to the Retro Rovers guys that uh, it was only the third game of the season, so we'd already beaten Leeds of course at home on the first game of the season three one. We then went up to Oakwell and beat Barnsley one nil. But that third game of the season beating Ipswich um five two that sticks in your mind, Ricky, as the game where you actually thought, even after three games, this team can go up, right? Yes. Yeah. That was the game where we were looking at each other and we were thinking, we can, we can do this. We can, we can go again. To this day, that's one of the best team performances I've ever been a part of. Mm-hmm. Especially attacking-wise. Some of the football we played was just was brilliant. Lalana was on fire. Yeah. Morgan was on fire. It was just brilliant to be a part of. And, some of the passing was from the back and it was like I said the teams couldn't get near us and it was it was such a joy to be a part of mm. and as it turned out then obviously you were you were right you mentioned uh, Saints were never out of the top two all season which is some effort over 46 games for incredibly Ricky for 34 of the 46 weeks when I looked this up we were actually top so uh, you know incredible achievement really um, again not wanting to go through every yeah. single game that we played that season other than the Ipswich game are there any other key moments from that campaign that, that sort of stick in your mind because again from my side of things when I was thinking about this you know certainly that game up at Leeds in March 2012 you obviously scored Calvin had a worldie and uh, getting over the line with a really tough 1-0 win felt like it was a massive push in the right direction so that's the one that sticks in my mind I think yeah don't be, uh, these a few that stick out um, definitely the Ipswich the, the Blackpool at home sticks in my mind where we were two one down, and and uh, we managed to get an equaliser yeah. in the last last minute. Yeah, you scored. Um, yeah, the, the the Brighton games we had good games again. The battle with Brighton, uh, we managed to get the better of them. Uh, I got me me first and only red card away to Brighton that season. You did, yeah. We ended up losing. I wasn't going to bring that up, Ricky, but yeah. um, and <laughs> and then. And, and then the yeah the the running it was again it was, it was devastating to get pipped by Redden. Um in that game we lost three one it was a, that That's was right. just a weird game we 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 were dominating but they're very good at taking all the pressure and then hitting on the counter mm-hmm. full credit to them I really wanted to win that league because I, I thought we were the best team but obviously the best team is the one who finishes on top so full credit to them. Mm. And then the the last game, Coventry, the most nervous I've ever been yeah. in in a football game. It was like forty six games going down to one game. Um, I, even though it was against the bottom of the league, I, yeah, the most relief I've had is when that third fourth goal went in, and then you could kind of enjoy the atmosphere and let it sink in. Yeah, and I, I can't begin to 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 like halfway through. Just the thought of getting to the Premier League, it was, it was too much to uh, take in sometimes, and it was like you know just focus on the next game. And Nigel was very good at that. He he, he did keep you keep you focused and 
what he was very very good at as well. I've got to mention is um, after a loss or, or a win, you you review it, you look at the tape, you say what you want to say, everyone gets it off the chest, you draw a blue line under it, and then that's forgotten about. Yeah. Win, lose, or draw, it, it was brilliant. And then he get you up again in training, and then you're just thinking about the next. And I, again, that was the first time I come across like. Uh, coaching like that and it was it was brilliant mm. absolutely brilliant it's funny isn't it we're, we're recording a, a couple of days after Saints winning down at Brighton when there was a dodgy penalty outside the area and yeah it's funny thinking about that hat-trick you scored at St Mary's because the foul on Jose Fonte that Peter Walton gave the penalty for was about three yards outside the box as well wasn't it but uh, there we go it's funny it's funny how the game works isn't it but uh, um, but there we go um, look, what, I, I remember when we spoke to um, spoke to Dean Hammond a while back and he said one of the, the frustrations for him was that Saints never quite beat Pompey um, during that period and uh, of course I've got to bring the game up down at Fratton Park because yeah. uh, you obviously have played in a, a few derbies during your career Ricky how did that one compare and you know while it was disappointing that like the home game we couldn't quite hold on for the win obviously you headed us into that 1-0 lead right in front of the Saints fans so that must have been an amazing feeling oh it was brilliant absolutely brilliant and just couldn't hold on but that's the the, the emotion scored running run to the crowd it was it was brilliant I went mad at Gooley after that game. I, I probably went over the top on him, yeah. to be honest. But uh, I, I blamed him for their for their goal. <laughs> for their goal. Um, it was just obviously we we played them a couple of years earlier when when they probably we knew they had the better team yeah. and uh, they they smashed us four one. But when we played them in the championship, we we knew it. We were better than them, and to not get a, a win. That was probably one of the damn things of that season. Yeah, I'll probably I would definitely agree with Dean there. Mm. But mm. yeah, no, to score against them twice, it was brilliant, brilliant. But at the end of the day, it's it's if you get the the points, what matter? But I, I'll never forget the moment of of scoring, especially at their place. So that was brilliant. Yeah. And as I said earlier, you'd always wanted to prove yourself in that league. You'd uh, end the season way out in front of the championship uh, top goalscorer with 27, securing the golden boot. That obviously included four hat-tricks, Ricky, against Forrest, Brighton, the one that we mentioned, Watford, and then uh, Millwall. Of course, the, the latter, thanks to two late penalties, and I'm going to touch on your penalty record in a moment. But it must have been nice, I know you sort of mentioned it earlier, to prove not only to yourself, Ricky, but to all of those people that had maybe not shown that belief to sign you or had doubted you along the way. It was nice, and I did use a lot of that in my career. I do listen to other plays, and I think a lot of plays are the same as as that. They do hang on to stuff like that and use it as their motivation. And that was definitely one of my biggest ones that season was to to prove to everyone that I was good enough to play in the championship. Mm. Um, to finish the league and goal scorer, the best player. I was very proud. Of that. I'm not going to lie. I was very, right. very proud. I, obviously, I was made up to get Southampton, help get Southampton promoted, but to also um, to finish leading goal scorer, leading assists, uh, and best player. I, it, it was brilliant. I was, I was, I was made up, and obviously, my confidence, my fitness was was just thriving at this time as well. Just to touch on the penalties then, Ricky, because I mentioned that Millwall game. I, I, it's funny watching one of your old interviews where you talk about that one against Mike Taylor and changing your mind at the last minute and everything. But uh, you'd obviously end with yeah. 34 out of 34 for Saints, a 100% record that not even Matty could uh, quite manage with us. Um, from memory uh, and watching some of the goals back as well, I don't remember too many keepers looking like they'd save many of them. But 
did you always practice uh, penalties a lot or was it just sort of a natural ability to be calm and confident and you always hear strikers talk about well it's the easiest chance to score so just you know you just always stood up and felt like it was going to go in the back of the net yeah so even as a kid as early as I can remember I used to like that kind of moment where the pressure was on you and it was down to you Um, I had so much confidence in my right foot from the earliest age I can remember yeah. I had I, I always had the best kick the strongest kick um, so yeah I just always wanted to be on the pens and my technique was very simple I tried, I tried to keep it as simple as I could mm. um, it was I've got a free shot from 12 yards even if you go the right way I'm confident I can hit it good enough that you won't save it yeah. That's, that was my belief Um and it, it served me well. There was a few times the keeper's got a good hand to it, quite quite a few times. But I think it was the power I was able to put it in it in in both directions that they just couldn't uh, keep it out. Especially, for instance, the JPT. He, yeah. The keeper's gone very early. He's got a, a good hand, but it's it's the power sometimes on the pen which is more important than the accuracy. Mm, yeah. Well, as you say, you end 2011-12 in the Championship PFA Team of the Year along with Adam and Kelvin and won the Championship Player of the Year award. Arguably more important from a Saints point of view, you secured your second Fans Player of the Season award in three years. Um, by now, you'd built a really strong connection with the fans and uh, we loved you. You loved us, I think. Um, that two-way love uh, almost summed up by the scenes after the commentary match, uh, you being carried across the pitch. I'm currently looking at a coaster on my desk here at home, Ricky, which is a picture of you surfing across the, the crowd. I mean, it's it's almost from the, the whole journey, I think. It feels like that sort of that is the iconic image, you being carried off after that commentary game, almost sums up that five-year period. Yeah, it's quite emotional talking about that. The scenes was brilliant and... Mm. To see them pictures afterwards, I've I've got some of the pictures myself from frames around the house. Yeah, it's it's unbelievable. Um, yeah, it was such a pleasure to play in that team with the the lads to be a part of that group with the, the managers, everything, and then to have that relationship with the fans was just incredible. They they took to me in the first season. I don't know. Yeah. Obviously, everyone liked the goal scorer. I think it was just my attitude was. Mm. I just wanted to help the team and in any way I could. And their love for me made me a lot better player than I could have ever been without that support. They definitely made the extra percentage make all the difference. And it was it was brilliant going into the games knowing how much the fans was behind you. Mm. I mean, for any player, it's unbelievable. But when... You've got 30,000 fans singing. Um, Southampton's Gold Machine, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, Southampton's Gold Machine. It, it, it's, I mean, it's, it was brilliant at the time, and I'll always remember the relationship that you have with fans. It's so special, and that's what made it the best five years of my career by a mile. It wasn't just the moments on the pitch, it was the relationship with the fans as well. So it's August 2012 and at the age of 30 Ricky Lambert has arrived in the Premier League. Um, how were you feeling about that Ricky? Confident you would compete at that level or given how fast the rise with Saints had been concerned it might be too much of a step up or not? No, no. Again, I, I had people to prove wrong. Um, people probably closer 
to you than you would like, to be honest. Um, like chairmans, managers, or when you get to the Premier League, you feel like you have to bring in other players, which is fine. Mm-hmm. Which I knew that's what football is, especially when you get to the Premier League. Yeah. But again, it's like, right, there we go again. I'll, I'll prove to you again that I'm good enough to be a player in this team. You're not getting rid of me anytime soon. So, yeah, when that game came against Man City and I was on the bench, I was like, right, here we go again. Mm. Um, and I was like a caged animal, to be honest. Absolute caged animal waiting to get on, onto that pitch because I knew exactly what was going to happen. Uh, the last one, brilliant. Like, it was all set, set up for me to come on and within a couple of minutes I, I scored a goal and running to the same fans and that was when emotional wise it really hit me because we'd been on the journey together and I could not believe we were in the Premier League so after only three years and then to score against the champions it was incredible and then Steve Davo yeah. scores again to make it 2-1 and I, we're all just like what? <laughs> what on earth is going on here? This is surely we can't do it again. Surely we can't do and go on because our our mentality at this point was unbelievable. We thought we could win anyone and everyone. Mm. And then obviously the quality of the Premier League players and the concentration that you what's needed to be a Premier League, you start to notice it. And um, we come away with a loss that game, but the confidence and just... The belief in us was was incredible. It yeah. was brilliant, and again, um, I started off well, me personally. But we just couldn't pick up a lot of points. Took us a while. Nigel was new to the Premier League. The majority of the players were new to the Premier League. Mm. It was a big eye opener. Um, any mistake we made, we got points a hundred percent of the time, and we did. We made quite a few mistakes there mm. beginning of the season. It was just the ruthlessness of the opposition when they smelled blood was unbelievable, to be honest. And it took us a while, but we were slowly starting to turn. Instead of opening up and passing from the back, we probably went a little bit tighter, went went a little bit longer at times. Trying not to go away from our philosophy, but just trying not to be so eager Mm -hmm. and trying to hate them when we know... In the championship, you could pass it and you could tie teams out. You couldn't do that in the Premier League. You can't tie teams yeah. out. They're just like a viper snake, just ready to pierce uh, <laughs> you when, whenever you give the ball. So it, it, t- it took a while, but we could see us getting better game by game. And obviously, Nicola then made the decision to get rid of Nigel, which I thought was the wrong decision at the time. Turned out that he brought in an unbelievable manager. But at the time, I didn't know that. So I was a little bit disappointed. Well, I was very disappointed, to be honest. Well, just, yeah, just before we talk about Maurizio, um, as you say, it took three minutes for you to score. It's a true Ricky Lambert style. And uh, again, that's one of the iconic images of you uh, with your, your fists out, um, sort of uh, celebrating them. One thing I just wanted to touch on, because um, we had the opportunity to catch up with Nick Harvey a couple of years back, and he spoke a fair bit about um, you know some of the work he'd done with players in general, not just you, Ricky. But he did obviously mention that during the summers, you know, up Southampton Common and things like that, he'd done some extra work with you. So I was just interested to know, before we get into Maurizio and stuff, that particular summer did you you know did you feel sort of physically ready to play in the Premier League or did you have to go away and do even more work no so I think the biggest one was the year before the championship me and Nick and a few others Dean Hammond Fraser Richardson we all went we all seen him three times a week yeah. met in the park and we would go on runs and we would 
uh, do various sort of things. And um, and then obviously we're going into the Premier League. We've done it again. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I can't speak highly enough of Nick. He was one of the main reasons why I was able to do what I did at Southampton. Yeah. Because he, he became like my closest ally there. I was with him every day, a few hours. He loved his job, absolutely loved his job. And the effort he put into me, like I said, I can't thank him enough. The time he took out of his own time, by the way, in the summer, because mm-hmm. he didn't he didn't have to do this, uh, was was absolutely brilliant. So when when we did go back, yeah, we all felt fit. I, I, again, that season was one of the best shapes that I've, I've, I've ever been in again. And that was full credit to, to, to everyone, especially Nick. Yeah. And, I mean, you're right. Again, looking it up, um, the data, you appeared in every Premier League fixture that season. So, yeah, as you say, absolute testament to uh, the fitness um, that you'd uh, worked on. Um, you scored 15 goals, Ricky, in that first season back in the, the Premier League. Had you set yourself a goals target before the season started? And the other thing I was interested in, though, given you were 30 years old, and, you know, I'm sure, as we mentioned earlier, you would have loved to have played in the Premier League maybe 10 years earlier. But do you think, again, that that ultimately helped you, given you kind of knew your game inside out, what your strengths were, how to handle defenders, things like that. So rather than maybe charging around aimlessly, you kind of just knew what you were able to do and could focus on that. Without a doubt, without a doubt. I think I could have played a kind of that level maybe two, three years before I got to the Premier League. But because of the hunger and like like you said, the knowledge of all the games I've played up until that point, the knowledge of the, your teammates around you, I was able to make it. And, that type of impact. Mm. I wouldn't have had that hunger if I'd played in the Championship or the Premier League years and years before because I would have had that first experience. So the hunger was was incredible to do well for the Saints and that was definitely one of the major factors. And and like I said, I, I could have played hundreds and hundreds in the Premier League but I'd probably prefer to have an impact the way I did, especially for, for my team, Southampton, and help them stay in. It was just brilliant. And as the season went on then, we'd obviously beat Liverpool, Man City and Chelsea and eventually finished 14th. Um, I have to agree with you, Ricky. I think like many Saints fans, it was it was hard to accept um, you know, when Nigel was replaced in January of that season by Maurizio. But to be fair, and I know you've acknowledged this a few times before, it felt like you personally really clicked into a, another gear when Maurizio took over. Um, you famously said, of course, that he, quote, broke you um, during some of the, the training with all the running, etc., especially on the, <laughs> the Monday after a game and things like that. But you've also said that he was the best manager of your career. So why was that? Yeah, so um, he was very different. And the best way I can explain, I've, I've tried to explain it a few times, is he talked about and he tried to tell us and understand the Superman syndrome. Have you ever heard that? I've not, Ricky, no. No. So Superman has got no powers. He's just from a different planet whose climate is a lot harsher than ours. So when he came to our planet, it seemed to us that he's got superpowers, which he hasn't. He's just normal for the people on his planet. So what he meant by that is that if he trains us hard enough during the week, then the games would feel easy. Mm-hmm. So he would run us on a Monday, on a Tuesday, on a Wednesday, and then he, our rest day would be the Thursday, and then he would train us hard again on the Friday. And I couldn't believe it. When he first came in, I was like, what on earth <laughs> is he doing to us? Yeah. So it was 
his philosophy is if he pushes us to the limit and he pushes us through the limit in training, and he did on numerous occasions, especially me more than anyone, then our mental and our physical strength will be better mm. to able to cope with the Saturday games and the, the Premier League games compared to the trainer. That's the way his philosophy is, and that's why he's one of the best managers in the world, because mm. if, especially if the players believe in it, the players have to believe in it. Like, we questioned it. I was one of the main ones to question it. Uh, I think me and Josh went in after... <laughs> I was chuckling at this, yeah. Uh, and we went in, and obviously we were all talking in the dressing room, and Kel was, like, against anyone going in. He was like, I wouldn't go in. And I was like, I'm going in. I'm going to speak to him. I don't care. <laughs> so I went in, spoke to him, and I just said, listen, we've been speaking. We think you're, you're doing too much, especially on Monday. You just need to calm down a little bit. We're not used to it. And he said, okay, no, Ricky, that's fine. We understand. We respect your opinion. Thank you so much for coming in. <laughs> so we go back to the lads and we're like, lads, sorted it. He's going to sort it. So the lads are going, really? And we're going, honestly, he was sound. Josh, wasn't he? Josh was like, yeah, no, he's fine. He's, yeah, he understood. So they were all buzzing. So we play on Saturday. Uh, we come in Monday. And uh, instead of doing 12 laps of the pitch, we do 24. <laughs> <laughs> we actually doubled the amount of runs that we did. And I, I remember running around as hard as it was. And I was laughing because I knew exactly what he was doing. And um, afterwards, we all looked at each other and we were laughing to each other going, what are, what are we going to do? And it was that moment where we thought, we've got to go with it and accept it. So, and then from that moment on, Every player in that dressing room accepted it and didn't bat an eyelid. When I say brokers, that was the moment he broke us, especially me. <laughs> and as, as you mentioned, I mean, that following season, 2013-14, was a, a really good one for the club. It was a, a seriously talented squad that was once as high as third and never lower than 11th, um, Ricky. We eventually finished eighth under Maurizio. The win at uh, Anfield, arguably the uh, highlight, certainly for fans. Um, you formed a, a great relationship. Obviously, you played with Adam for a, a few years by then, but alongside Adam, also Jay and that front three, all achieving international call-ups, which we'll come to in a moment. But memorably, you all scored in that 3-0 win at Fulham when you played one of the best passes I think I've ever seen for Jay's goal. Um, was that the most enjoyable season of your career? And what was it like playing in such an exciting front three? Yes, yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The way we play football, again, it was a another philosophy what he built into us, which took a while. He had the half of the first season to adapt us into us. So by the time the, the first full season came around, we were completely in his style. We knew exactly our, our roles. And the three up top, me, Ads and Jay, with the midfield behind and the defence, um, the whole team, it was a pleasure to play with. To play with Ads and Jay at the top of their game, it was just a pleasure to, to be a part of. We had a mixture of everything, so the de defences really couldn't um, get to grip with us. Yeah. And, yeah, it was the most enjoyable. Jay was so good for my game, I can't even explain. Obviously, I'd already built a partnership with ads throughout the three years um, but when Jay came along it just added an, another dimension to all of us especially in my game mm. because I, I did like to come short and turn and play them passes 
and with Jay and the team, that the defence didn't know where, where to come or go, and it was absolutely um, amazing to see Jay's development under Pochettino because Jay, I played against Jay a few times, and probably the one thing he was missing was being ruthless in front of the goal. In that year, he was just incredible. Like I said, he was so rapid, so strong. Technique was was unbelievable. Uh, and then when you throw ads onto that as well, who was probably the ace in the team. He he was the team kind of evolved around ads. It, it was a pleasure to to be a part of, and I kind of knew exactly what their movements were going to be, what where the touches were going to be. I knew that ads was going to probably check back two or three times before he crossed it, and it was just it, it was just a pleasure to know all a little different things that helped us be that team mm. um, and it, yeah it was brilliant and up until Jay got that injury yeah. against Man City which was absolutely devastating yeah. Yeah. absolutely heartbreaking he was at, like I said at the peak of his powers he was probably going to go on to play in the World Cup mm. he was he was that good um, it was it was devastating absolutely devastating um, and even though he's getting back to close, I don't think he has got back to to that level. Uh, it's it's so hard when you when you have that pace, that power. When you get injured like that, sometimes you do lose a little bit of pace, and it was such a shame. But at least I had that couple of years where I played them at his peak and with ads, and that year with them too was was the best season I've ever enjoyed football. Yeah. Obviously, you come up a lot, uh, you know, a lot of defenders during your career, Ricky. But was there anyone from the sort of Premier League era that you found particularly hard to play against? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not. Um, do, do you know who I found difficult every time? I didn't have a good game against them once. Was Phil Jagielka, right, right, Everton. Um, he had everything, and he was very clever, very strong. Um, I mean, he wasn't quick, but you don't need to be quick when you're playing against me, do you? Really. Um, <laughs> um, no, hard. but he was just—he <laughs> was—he he was brilliant, and I had a difficult game every time. I—I I had difficult games against Company, John Terry, Rio Ferdinand, but I got the better of them in some games or some periods throughout the game, mm. and I scored. Um, but Phil Jagielka, yeah, I was just could never really get the better which yeah. was frustrating yeah he wouldn't be the one that yeah. sort of comes to mind immediately as a fan would he so yeah it's interesting to, to hear that so yeah but as a player David Silva was probably the best player I've played against he was he was just unbelievable yeah yeah players like him and Paul Scholes who dictate the play and you play a system to stop that type of player and then the, you still can't stop them. Mm. They're the players I'm uh, most in awe of. And as I mentioned, the three of you, uh, Adam, Jay and yourself, would all be selected for England in November 2013. But of course, you'd had a, a fairly unique taste of international football before the season uh, had even kicked off, Ricky. Um, on August the 8th of 2013, Roy Hodgson had called you up for England. Um, after everything you had been through, and obviously we'll come on to that moment in a minute, how hard you'd worked, the goals you'd scored, it must have been amazing to get that phone call. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think it's obviously well known now. It was the birth of my baby That's daughter right, yeah. as well, so yeah. I didn't know much about it. I hadn't slept that much, <laughs> so I woke up to a lot of messages, a lot of missed calls. So yeah, it was it was surreal. We had a 
actually joked the season with the prank where I said I was going to play for New Zealand. Right, yeah, yeah. I honestly didn't think I was going to get called up from the right. I think uh, there was a couple of um, squads that he didn't really have any strikers and he, he still didn't pick me. So I wasn't gutted because I, I know getting picked for England was like the pinnacle and I'd only played one full season in the Premier League. So I couldn't have been too uh, upset to not get picked. So then when to get the, the call-off was beyond my wildest dream. Mm. By this point, I was living on a crest of a wave, to be honest. The last two, three years were just amazing. It was getting better. I was, I was now an established Premier League player, scoring goals, and now I'm getting called for England. It was surreal. I can't even begin to say how surreal it felt. But I was loving it, and yeah. I was just trying to trying to take it all in and and enjoy it and uh, assess it. Mm. Um, but it was a mad time, absolute crazy time, and it was amazing, absolutely mm. amazing. And then yet yeah, to get ads in and to get yeah. Jay in, and then to get more press in the, the under twenty ones, and then get to Luke Shaw in the end. It was a it was a great time. It was brilliant for the club, mm. absolutely brilliant. Mm. And obviously, uh, Scotland are the visitors to Wembley on the 14th of August 2013. Roy Hodgson turns around to you and says, uh, Ricky, get stripped, you're going on, or something along those lines. Um, you're then on the touchline, of course, um, applauding as Wayne Rooney jogs towards you to come off, Ricky. What's going through your mind at that point? Make the most of it, enjoy it, get involved, score. I mean, what are you thinking when you stood on the touchline? Again, like we were talking throughout this, I was in the right moment. If it came too early, I would not have been able to grab this moment. But because of all the experience leading up to this moment, all the training I'd done at Southampton, yeah. when Wayne was running off, I wasn't really looking. I wasn't overawed. Mm. I was like Ricky Lambert coming off the bench for Southampton against Man City. I was that player. Yeah. I had a job to do and I knew. I had a job to do because I knew I had to do something. I knew it was kind of a token gesture that I got picked for that squad. I think he thought, just give him the, um, he deserved it. He scored a few goals. He's watched me a few times. He, I don't think he was, he had a plan that I was going to come back to many squads where I fought differently. Yeah. But to do that, I would have to do something spectacular. And I knew I had to score. So when coming off that, yeah, coming off the bench, I knew, right, give me a chance. Please, I just want one chance. And uh, the chance happened to come with me first, touch of the ball. And like I said, I was I was ready to take it. To mm. see the connection I had was probably the best ever I've ever done in my life. And to see it hit the back of the net. Yeah, it's um I never, thought, I never thought the moment for scoring us for Southampton against Man City would be better but mm. that that did beat her. it was it was incredible What a header this is. This is what we saw him do time and time again last season. He works for space in the box, times his run perfectly, gets him, and he's been marked by Scott Brown. I'm not sure that was a good decision by Scott, and he gets in front of Scott Brown. Here's his movement, and he 
meets it perfectly. Back across the goalkeeper, McGregor, into the far corner. Wonderful header. And England lead Scotland for the first time this evening. Ricky Lambert has finally arrived in the big time. I think every Saints fan around the world will always remember what happened uh, yeah, with that goal and you know you obviously scored with your first international um, touch um, I think uh, even just talking about it now and watching it back and things like that it still gives me goosebumps Ricky I don't know what it must do to you when you think about it and uh, you know you know, uh, tears in the, the eyes and I think many Saints fans uh, you know around the world absolutely felt that moment after everything you know it almost felt like you were representing us out there so uh, definitely one of the, the best moments of my life seeing you score that and knowing how much it meant to you and to the club and to the city as you mentioned there um, of course, as you mentioned, I mean, after the game, Saints went pretty mad. Everyone was talking about beetroot factories and all that sort of thing, weren't they? So it uh, take a quite a while to sink in, or what? Yeah, like I said, it was surreal. The the year leading up was quite surreal, but that moment itself it was crazy because I was a big fan of some of the plays in that dressing room. Mm. I, I respected every single one of them, but some of them I looked up at like like the best plays to ever played. For England, like Stevie G, Ashley Cole, yep. uh, Paul Scholes, Frank Lampard, it was mad. And then they're coming up to me and hugging me and mm. telling me, "Well done," saying so happy for me afterwards. And the, the muscles in my face were twitching. How emotional it was! It was it was too much to take in. It was overwhelming. Mm. It was definitely overwhelming. I had to sit there and just t- try and take it in. Mm. Um, and then coming out afterwards and seeing uh, my family and the, the like, local press and yeah, Jim and um, and like big smiles on their face and you could see how happy they was for me and it was amazing, absolutely amazing the whole year and then that was obviously the the pinnacle. Yeah. Finishing off uh, with a couple more just to, to finish about Saints then. Um, having scored in your first game for Saints, you'd also score in your last versus Manchester United. Um, that summer of 2014, you'd eventually leave the club, returning to your beloved Liverpool. Um, how hard was that decision for you to make in the end, Ricky, given that, you know, well, we all knew that Liverpool was in your heart. Of course, by that time, you'd had a, a great time at Saints and were very much in all our hearts. Yeah, no, it was it was quite unbelievable. Just got picked for the World Cup. And then my agent man for Liverpool were interested in you. And my first reaction was, oh my word. <laughs> obviously, this is a club who obviously I supported as, as a child. And and then the second thought was like Southampton. Mm. Oh my word, I might be leaving Southampton. Because by this point, I was hoping and expecting to retire at Southampton. I've got to say, and I'll probably put it in my book whenever that comes round. I need to get round for that. Oh, um, but my relationship with Nicola wasn't in a good place at this moment in time, to be honest. Um, all with his replacement. So mm. when this came up, it probably <clears throat> made it a little easier. Yeah, it wasn't as difficult as maybe it would have been a year or two years or three years before. Mm. Um, and the age was, what I was thinking is, if I turn this down, I'm going to regret it for the rest of my life. Mm. It's like, I'm always going to think, what if? And I knew going to Liverpool, I'm going to regret leaving Southampton because the thought of retiring at Southampton was amazing to me. Um, but I think the regret would have been more if I would have turned down Liverpool. 
Because yeah. as, as good as hindsight is, I wouldn't have had hindsight. I would have just had the regrets, if, if you know what I mean. Mm, totally. Do you think, um, I know you obviously you're, uh, with all due respect, got your fingers in a few pies with your, your bars in Liverpool, and I heard you talking about you doing some coaching with your, your son's team and things like that. Do you think you'd ever come back to Saints one day if there was a, a coaching opportunity or something like that? Maybe a full-time podcast appearance or something? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've done a um, podcast with Matt Latiz, right, and yeah. I, I enjoyed that. And Well, before the lockdown and before COVID, I was doing a few appearances for the club. I would like to get more involved with the club, come and watch them. And co- a coaching role, I'm not sure. Mm. Um, Kelvin's still a big part of Southampton, and you need that type of dedication, what he's putting in, and it's, it's a lot. Mm. And my kids are in school in Liverpool and I've moved them about a lot to be honest in their life I moved to Bristol moved to Southampton and then I was at Cardiff and and they were all in different schools for these so the thought of me going back down to Southampton and moving the kids again at this time of my life I don't think it can happen anytime soon mm. again I'm, I'm coaching Carter's team it's my um, little boys team and I'm, I'm enjoying it if my hunger starts coming back like the hunger I had for f- playing football mm. as, it, as it is with coaching then I wouldn't rule anything out I would love my hunger to come back like that but it's just not there for coaching at the minute Just finally then Ricky 235 games 117 goals a Wembley win two promotions two golden boots two Southampton Fans Player of the Season awards one PFA League One Fans Player of the Year award one Football League Championship Player of the Year award an England call up and an international debut goal how do you sum up those five years with Saints? (laughs) (laughs) You can't really can you? I mean it was I said Roy of the Ravens earlier it was Ricky of the Ravens really wasn't it? It was beyond my wildest dreams Mm. I would if I could sum it up in a sentence then I would have to say that beyond anything I wished for when I hoped what Saints would bring uh, my way and what I could offer Saints leaving five years later with what happened was by far the best period of my career it's going to be something that I'm going to remember for the rest of my life and yeah. I'll always have photos and videos and memories to to look back on and I feel so privileged to have been a part of uh, a great club and help put them back where they deserve and to see them doing so well now mm. under Ralph it's brilliant that they're in a really healthy position again they're playing some great football I'm, I'm loving watching the Danny Ings and Adams up top some of the plays brilliant so yeah it's just a pleasure mate absolute pleasure Brilliant. Well, I, I can't thank you enough for your time today, Ricky. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you. I've always wanted to have the opportunity to, to say this to you, so I'm going to make the most of this. But thank you so much for all the great moments, for always giving 100% in our shirt and for allowing us Saints fans to go on such a remarkable ride with you. Um, I think all Saints fans listening to this will echo what I'm about to say. But for me, Ricky, you'll always be a Southampton Football Club legend. Oh, Ben, thank you so much. Man. That means a hell of a lot to me, so I, I appreciate it. Thank you so much.
away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.